Okay, welcome everybody. We're live streaming on LinkedIn for this Meet the Author. And uh, we've got an interesting individual who's just come out with a new book joining us today, don't we, Gary? Yes, thanks, Mara, and welcome everybody to our show. I'm really pleased to have Sergio Valencia Cross with us today. Sergio is coming to us from Mexico, and his book, as you can see behind me and actually on his screen, is Become an Occupational Health and Safety Excellence Manager. 10 high pack solutions for the development of sustainable companies. So I think will be a fun session today. In some respects, we will get a bit of a Latin America flavor of how they see safety. So anybody that's online, uh, if you have questions like, so what's different between there and the rest of the world or whatever you're coming from, I think it's a good opportunity to ask Sergio if you've got those sort of questions. So welcome Sergio. Thank you. Thank you, Gary, uh, Tamara, and everyone. My pleasure. So let me start off by asking always that first question. What made you decide to write this book? And is there a certain need that you're trying to fulfill? Well, I, I think there is one thing um, uh, when I uh, see success in the things that we do. It definitely is passion. So uh, I, I am passionate of the things that we do. Who, who doesn't, right? Uh, so in, in my passion in OSH uh, took me to deliver a message for people who, who wants to, to do the, their best. Uh, in, in addition, uh, I would like to commend that my, my father, uh, before uh, he died, told me about uh, the poet Jose Marti, uh, who said, there are three things uh, that uh, every person should uh, do during uh, during a, a lifetime, uh, to plant a tree, to have a child, and write a book. And these uh, words uh, sounded like thunder in, in my mind, so I decided to go through with it. Cool, cool. Well, you know, when I first came across your book and read your title, I figured, oh, there's a lot of books out there already about safety excellence. So tell me, what, what differentiates your book from the others? Uh, well, I, I could tell uh, uh, three things. The first one is uh, the book is like a bonsai seed. Uh, you know, uh, it could be planted in the ground, but uh, it could be different for many reasons. In many organizations, we have different things. We have a uh, different complexity, different uh, culture, uh, but uh, I feel that uh, all organizations need a framework uh, to build a health and safety culture. Uh, another one is that usually uh, OSH uh, management books uh, have a, a perspective um, uh, from the OSH managers to the organization. But in this case, thanks to the collaboration in the book, uh, we could see uh, uh, how is the perspective, uh, how the, the perspective from the organization uh, to the OSH manage, management is. And the third one is the um, simple language is used. It's an easy reading. Uh, in, it, it's much better to uh, ask the, to the readers to take action in the, uh, in the organization and the situation that they are. Um, uh, definitely the book is, is not intended to be uh, a magic uh, receipt. Uh, we, it's not for, uh, for uh, receipt followers, uh, but uh, chefs, who has different ingredients in the organizations. Uh, when I, uh, I mean uh, with the ingredients, resources, uh, uh, 
complexity, uh, leadership, uh, different ingredients that they have. Uh, each uh, professional uh, uh, in OSH could take uh, the things that could be uh, feasible to do in their organizations. Cool. So when Sergio and I were talking, I had, I had to smile because we talked a bit about chefs and not recipe followers. And if you recall last month was Karen Hewitt and Power of People, she had baking in that. So that theme seems to be carrying through again. Yeah, I think we all want to be chefs because there are times when we don't have all the right ingredients to bake that cake. So we need to understand the principles behind that so we can substitute and do it and do it properly. Well, who do you see as the audience for your book? Uh, well, this book is written for uh, OSH professionals and leaders uh, in the organization who needs to start from a framework uh, to join a journey uh, from today to the OSH excellence. Uh, I mean, in terms of uh, OSH to have uh, to respond, uh, normally we heard about a couple of questions. Uh, what we need to do or uh, where we, we do start for. Uh, so uh, companies around the world uh, uh, are different, right? Um, nevertheless, uh, we uh, we could consider that the book the book is more accurate for a large scale uh, companies with traditional uh, hierarchical organization, and also a small and, and medium uh, uh, com uh, sized companies uh, who has uh, a staff uh, from uh, HR or uh, OSH uh, staff. Yeah, right. Uh, I'm just hearing some background noise, so uh, could I ask you to go on mute unless you're you're talking? That would help. Okay, thanks everybody. Yeah, there is there is that um, situation where, for example, you've got startups. Uh, for example, somebody wants to open up a new restaurant, and of course they're starting with very little staff. Don't even think about HR or such, or even support staff. Do you find this book would help those people that are just new chefs that want to start up a new restaurant? Yes, because uh, as you mentioned, we have a, a menu in the restaurant uh, with different choices. Uh, we, uh, so uh, we can choose uh, to adopt this, uh, this content uh, from the book uh, for the organizations, uh, what is feasible to do as mentioned, large-scale companies, medium or small, with a minimum staff of HR or most professionals. Yeah, and I think just that's a really good point that you're making about having that framework. Uh, so now, this book isn't written by you. Actually, it's written by a collaboration of outstanding professionals in Latin America in their field of action. I found this quite interesting because I didn't. I assumed all that the um, authors were in the OSH field, but apparently not. You just got a bunch of really good people in Latin America, and you got them to write different chapters in the book. Am I correct on that? Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting. Uh, it was an interesting experience for me because uh, it's a collaboration. Uh, first of all, the collaboration of Malcolm Stapes, uh, he's the uh, vice president uh, of health and safety from L'Oreal, as well as, uh, as seven uh, collaborators uh, in, in the 10 chapters uh, we, uh, we are. Some, 
uh, people in in one chapter or two chapters and uh, but uh, uh, um, talking about these seven uh, collaborators uh, uh, we have just one related in osh uh, the other ones not i mean uh, for example we have a coach uh, with uh, 30 years of experience uh, coaching uh, general managers communication uh, kpis and master plan developers uh, we have uh, talent uh, developers uh, sustainability experts and uh, this is a, 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 a interesting uh, mixing uh, for uh, make the, the perspective from the organization to the OSH management that they have. Right. So let me, let me ask you a bit of an. Um, a I, I, I for, I, sorry, oh, I, I forgot. To, I forgot to mention that mm -hmm. uh, uh, my my close network uh, belongs from Latin America. I'm from Latin America. But uh, in the case of, for example, the uh, two collaborations, uh, Amicam and, and Maria Lu, uh, they live, uh, uh, actually they are living in, in US and also Amica lived in, in Israel for, for many years. Oh, okay, right. Because there is a bit of a Latin America flavor to this, what do you find similar in thinking down in Latin America compared to the rest of the world. Uh, in previous years, I think it was very, very different, but it's not uh, because uh, normally we're uh, uh, in Latin America, but it happened uh, around the world. Uh, we're thinking in the day by day, but not in the medium and long term, for example. Mm. And uh, we have uh, some uh, uh, mythos as, uh, for example, you, you can hear uh, it's not uh, uh, it's not my responsibility uh, or uh, it's not my business uh, is uh, or uh, Eastern uh, European or American or uh, Peruvian or uh, Brazilian people are like uh, like this or like that it's not uh, much uh, different the social culture is different right but not the, the corporate culture um, uh, it normally happens that we are uh, cutting by the same uh, scissor. I mean, we have uh, same issues despite we are different. Yeah, interesting. So anybody online, um, have you got, has anybody worked in Latin America, Mexico, Peru, Argentina? Can you share maybe an experience that you've got and either you support what Sergio is saying or you found found something different. Does anybody work down there at all? I haven't, for example. Is there anybody online? I haven't worked down there, but I've had um, okay. oversight of plants and and, uh, and uh, that had reportings up into me. And I'll tell you that uh, Sergio's exactly right. The only difference that I see, though, is that I, I think that employee involvement in Latin America is sometimes easier to uh, have happen because they seem to be, get a little bit more enthusiastic more excited about it when the employee involvement uh, comes around. And that's why I think you can get a lot of their good um, cultural programs and, and improvements done because they're really more eager to grasp it than, than you would say some uh, that I've seen even in the States or, or in, uh, in Europe per se. That's, that's my, my experience. Yeah, there's one author and, 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 I just, I, I read. And that's, oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Sergio. You go ahead first. Yeah, and, uh, exactly, as mentioned by Ken. Uh, it, that's why the gap 
between the, the need and the resources is bigger in, in Latin America. So we need an extra effort to, to, to reach the, the target. So uh, is the, the desire to, to improve uh, the things, the, the pride for, uh, for the culture that they belong is, is part of the things that, uh, uh, that happened uh, in, in Latin America in, in this case. Uh, when in uh, as mentioned by Kate. Great. Okay. So quite a question to Sergio and maybe to you, Ken, since you've got some experience. Did you find any big differences that we should be aware of? And the one that came to my mind is looking at indigenous rituals. For example, the ability to go and talk to the local people and find out, oh, they, they do things a little bit differently than we do. Did you find any of those at all? Uh, in yeah, I, I would like to mention that uh, many uh, industries are developed uh, in the in the main cities uh, in in the countries, but uh, there are some operations as uh, uh, oil and gas uh, business, uh, drills, mining. Uh, when we have these uh, these customs, and and the the main thing to uh, we need to do is understand. Uh, how uh, how the culture is, uh, the custom that they have, and also to uh, is part of the uh, the trends today related to the to the inclusion, the biodiversity that we have is part uh, of the elements that we need to consider in osh management on uh, every management in general. I mean, okay, right. So after talking and um, with these different professionals, these authors, did you find some stuff that was surprising that you didn't realize that you learned from them? So surprising in terms of what, sorry? Yeah, well, is there something that uh, one of the authors said that caught you by surprise? Um, in, in terms of culture, you mentioned. Anything, anything they wrote about. Um, there's a few things I discovered. For example, um, one of them wrote about the requirement to have academic training as an electrician. That's not mandatory, but uh, it was optional according to legal and corporate requirements. So I found this quite surprising. Uh, okay, well, uh, despite that uh, we are, uh, uh, we had a colonization uh, in, uh, in the 15th century uh, for, from Europe, the most uh, influent uh, regulation for Latin America is OSHA from US. So, uh, but we, we, we didn't copy all OSHA regulation, unfortunately. For example, there are many holes in the local regulations between the countries. One example, as you mentioned, it, is the electrician. We, uh, we have a, a, a local regulation as a framework who ask uh, the, uh, the competence of uh, each uh, job position, but uh, it's not very specific. It, it, it's up to, to the organizations. I, I mean, it's uh, very different because it's uh, unbelievable that it's not mandatory. You have a, a minimal uh, academic training for electricians or welders. Uh, because it's not a, an, a specific requirement for, uh, from the Latin American countries. 
is uh, exception with the exception of, uh, of Mexico, which is uh, more uh, specific, but not exactly uh, as OSHA regulation, for for example. And so that's the reason why the the competence uh, from uh, for uh, some job position is not uh, completed and, and uh, doesn't fulfill the the minimum requirements that the industrial uh, industry requires yeah and what what sergio was speaking from is the chapter specifically on competence and competency so that's why i find this book fascinating because it just takes you diff into different components of the framework to have a look at that uh, what it's what it spoke to me about was how the master apprentice craft model is used a lot. And somehow we seem to have gotten away from that. And we've said, well, all we have to do is just put processes in place, train people on processes and poof, that's all they kind of need. And then as people, and we can even outsource that and we can just bring in new people. And if they just follow the process, we should be fine. And we seem to have lost something about where all those little tricks, those little what we call heuristics that the master had, there's no apprentice to pass them down. So, I'm, so I was really pleased to see that that particular craft model is still being applied in there. Anybody got some comments about that, about competency at all? And Tanya, you got any thoughts about that? Um, are we, we going down the right path in North America, or we should we be learning from our Latin American friends? I, I know that Tamara has her hand up. I can weigh in, but oh, I, sorry, Tamara. <laughs> Go ahead, Tanya, and then I'll weigh in. Okay, thanks. Uh, well, from what you just brought up, Gary, I think you're right. I mean, when we uh, when we look at a lot of our history, we have not realized the value of a lot of indigenous cultures and the way that they had done things. And I think we're now at this turning point to realize that eh, this colonization trip that we had been on for centuries uh, might not have been as enlightened as we think. Mm -hmm. And that there's a lot that we could learn from, a, you know, what Sergio is talking about from some of the cultures that, however they did it, were able to maintain a lot of their their thought processes and, and traditions throughout this, you know, otherwise very Western enlightenment kind of thinking. But I wanted to ask specifically about, um, well, I guess Osh and, and, and lithium, because, you know, you do have uh, the, so as far as I understand, a world's rich repository of lithium in various South American countries that um, is now, you know, the new gold kind of thing. And I think colonization could happen again <laughs> in order to just get the resources so that we can build our electric cars and whatever we need uh, the lithium for. I'm just wondering how South America is uh, both safety-wise and, and maybe, you know, on, on some of these other more, um, territorial protection type of, of things, how, how South America is responding to this drive to get the lithium out of, out of there. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a, 
much much di different. Uh, uh, if if I understand you, your question is related to some uh, specific uh, regulations in South America. I guess there's a there's a natural resource that you have in South America that the world wants. Yeah. And because of that, um, the power dynamics are going to be very interesting, I think. Um, and I'm just wondering if, if you have any insight on this, because if we if we go if we continue the way that we have, then Europe and North America will just bully you and we'll take the resources and we'll make the electric cars and, you know, you're going to be disenfranchised and and we're not going to get to a, a better place globally. I'm just wondering. Yeah. Almost all the, the countries are uh, included in the uh, United Nations. Right, so we have the agenda uh, 2030 related to the SDGs, and, uh, and if we uh, have a, a buyer, for example, uh, from North America, uh, need the resources uh, uh, from South America, need to have a, a, a conditions uh, between the 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 treatments that they, they have. In, in that uh, one of the the, the agreements is the regulation that they need, uh, we need to fulfill. It happened in Mexico, for example, uh, in terms of OSH. In terms of, of uh, environment also, uh, uh, it's considered in, 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 in Latin America uh, in general, thanks to this uh, commercial uh, agreements between the, the, the countries. So uh, uh, why this is important? It's important to to keep the sustainability of the uh, the resources and also the the, the business that, that, that they have. If not, the the resources will end. Okay. Well, we're almost halfway through, so I want to come back to the book itself. Can you just give us a very quick overview of the ten solutions that you pulled together? Interacted yes. with, and because the seven authors, you interacted with almost 100 OSS professionals around the world as well. So, can you just give us those um, 10 solutions quickly? Yes. Uh, when when we are talking about 10 solutions, uh, we uh, could think about uh, high tech innovation, which is important. But there's a phrase a phrase uh, from uh, Athenian philosopher Plato, which say uh, the the greater things of destruction is to remind the things that we already know. So uh, in, in any uh, moment, we, uh, we heard about uh, these uh, solutions I, I will mention, uh, but uh, our uh, retention in my, our mind is very low. So what, uh, what we could mention about these uh, 10 uh, solutions is divided into 10 chapters, is, uh, starting with the leadership and commitment, the reason for believing in OSH, uh, the, a strategy for the excellence, uh, a best baseline uh, as a starting point, competencies, uh, communication, um, cost benefit for the decisions, um, the, the, the goals uh, for reaching excellence, the culture, and uh, last but not the least, uh, the, the sustainability. 
Uh, if you ask me, uh, is uh, uh, the most important uh, chapter, what is the most important chapter? I, I, my response is the 10 ones because they are related, uh, related each other. There's a relationship between them and is uh, the framework that we need to, to, to pay attention to at least to, uh, uh, for preventing accidents and avoiding uh, penalties. This is the, the, the first step, first basis is the minimum that we need to do. Is, uh, is, uh, we, uh, but uh, the next step is how we could uh, get this journey for the, for the excellence. And the and this to uh, the, the continuous improvement is part of this, uh, and this is the the ten elements, if you could call it like this, uh, that uh, could uh, uh, build the path for this excellence. I mentioned. Okay, thanks. Tomorrow, when your hands back down, can you put it back up? Did you have something you wanted to say? Sorry no, we've moved through that point. Um, okay. I guess one question that I have, because I, I have um, worked down in um, around Mexico and Honduras, et cetera, um, more as a, a lay person um, helping helping those um, in in the in the, who reside there um, with their goals and stuff. But one thing that I did notice is that. Um, they don't have the same life opportunity and chances as we do up here in North America to access education, to access um, resources such as a, a, a quality um, professionals that can bring in um, resources for them to be able to do their job safely. You know, um, it, it's great if they're working at a large company that might bring in those resources with them. But in a lot of instances, you know, they were just making do with what they had. So how can we start like collaborating to move that needle? Uh, for example, uh, multinational companies mm -hmm. have this advantage uh, to uh, have a, a, a first, the, the benchmarking is important. The, the second thing is to, um, to, to bring uh, people who needs the know-how and uh, takes to the other uh, places around the world uh, where we uh, can get uh, this, this know-how. And uh, in Latin America, there, uh, is, uh, there are few people uh, with a specialization in some topics, for example, process safety, for example, um, uh, investigation methodology, and so on. And there are many, many, many topics, uh, ex uh, hygiene, um, yeah. specifically uh, in uh, uh, and, uh, other topics. Yeah. So there are more people with this know-how in, yeah. in North America or Europe. Uh, sometimes we bring these professionals to bring the, the training uh, in, in, in Latin America. But now with the, with the pandemic, uh, we can accelerate uh, the, this uh, uh, process in terms of virtual training. It's more feasible to get this training and uh, get the, the know-how. But uh, uh, remember that uh, uh, virtual is for a classroom training, yeah. but not for uh, uh, a training uh, which needs practice. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I, sh I should have said quantity of professionals, okay? Um, kind of stumbled with my dyslexia there, which root word I was supposed to choose. Um, <laughs> but 
that exactly that like we're very fortunate here in canada in the united states that you know in many companies that we're we do have the the privilege of working at they have like i always had when i was at metro or whatever a vp of health and safety like other people in that um that corporate lineage that could help kind of nurture along what i needed to be doing but in a lot of other places they don't have that they don't have a quality um uh, professional or somebody who knows about fall safety etc like they don't have access to that type of thing and and i see there's a lot of criticism on linkedin when people see um other individuals not doing things the way they might be doing them at home and so i think there's also like there's there's a wealth of knowledge a wealth of people who have the knowledge and then when i was working in those um those locations they were hungry for information they wanted to learn right so you have people who are like wow this is this is something i remember in rotan when we were putting up a ladder and a health and safety manager came out of his house because we were putting up a satellite i mentioned i might have mentioned that to this group already and he started talking about ladder safety now i wasn't in health and safety at the time so i didn't even know the whole world of health and safety existed right but those two men when they got that guy and he was talking to them about ladder safety they were like asking him questions all like hundreds of questions and they they even go back to him and ask him more questions right and then they brought that into their their business of putting up the satellites when they tr they had other people join them oh well we have to train you on how to properly like put up the ladder stabilize it and and what you need to do and it, it was just like they were really serious about it so that's why I'm asking that, like, what is, what could we be doing in our area of health and safety to be helping those who are less fortunate, in yeah. your opinion? And, and, and from my perspective, the, the main thing that we need to do is to, is to, uh, to develop uh, the baseline in order to know what are the main gaps. Okay. And 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 this uh, could start on a, a, a curate risk assessment uh, in order to know what are the things that we need to do. But uh, you mentioned a very important uh, issue is the access to uh, a better education, a better uh, opportunities. Uh, in this case, in 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 training, for example. There are many, uh, uh, one thing is to find the, the right professional. It's much easier in, in, the, in the first world uh, countries uh, than uh, uh, that countries in, in ways of development. The other thing is the price, uh, the resources, I mean, uh, is uh, for, for us could be expensive. And this, uh, it could, uh, be frustrated for many companies who want the best uh, knowledge, the best know-how for for other ones. There's a, and it happened in the majority of the, the cases. Uh, the one uh, main issue that we have, uh, not just in Latin America, also it happens in Asia and in Africa, is that from the, the labor uh, formality. Uh, if we are, uh, we have uh, informal ways to, to work, and one of the uh, SDGs uh, for United UN is um, 
the the work uh, with uh, the dignity and uh, economic growth. So this is one of the, the things that we need to be focused to reduce this gap. Uh, I think Susan is with hands yeah. up. Yeah, Susan. Yeah. Hi. You can hear me okay? Yeah. You're yes. Right. All you're right. Back. Well, you're back. <laughs> you, yeah. So. Sergio, I apologize. I think you have better internet connection than rural Canada. So there you go. Um, <laughs> so I apologize if this has already been raised, you know, but um, having been in the health and safety industry in Canada for 25 years, it was really our um, statutes. You know, we have occupational health and safety acts, which have enabled regulations. And we have lots and lots and lots of regulations. And over the decades, what that has done is that has built up how we do health and safety in Canada. What do you have for health and safety regulations, if any? And, and how has that maybe helped or not helped how you do things there? Uh, so, sorry, could you repeat the, the last part, Susan? Well, how you do health and safety in, in Mexico and Latin America, what are there for occupational health and safety regulations? And if there are none, how has that helped or not helped your profession? Uh, well, uh, in terms of the OSH professional, it's not, uh, unfortunately, it's not regulated. Uh, it's, uh, we need to, uh, to build, uh, it's up to each organization, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, how the, competi the competence of OSH professionals should be. But uh, you mentioned at the beginning one important thing uh, is uh, the gap. Between, there are many, I mean, there are many countries who have many, many regulations. And that is right. But, uh, but we could see that uh, there is a, 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 a big hole between the regulation requirements and the reality. That's the reason why it's not easy to fulfill all the regulations uh, around the world. We should to fulfill, yeah, it's, it's mandatory, but it, uh, but always is not possible because it's up uh, of the resources, it's up to the, uh, the accurate plan that we develop. And, uh, and if we have, uh, uh, a good uh, competency level, we need to have the, the, the benchmark. In a, the case of Latin America, we need to, to have the benchmark between other, uh, other uh, companies around the world, uh, which are doing uh, the things better than us. And uh, this, this is uh, one of the, uh, this is my opinion in that term. So, so there are no occupational health and safety regulations? No, no, yes, yes, definitely. All the countries, we, we have uh, regulations. I, I mean, uh, at the beginning, that there are, uh, there are some important gaps. For example, for Latin America, the reference is OSHA regulation uh, from US, right? So, uh -huh. yes, but uh, OSHA regulation, for example, cover uh, what uh, exactly we need for electrician or welders. Is, but there, uh, there's uh, many regulations in, in Latin America that we don't have that specification. Uh, we need to, to develop the, the, the training uh, to uh, 
take care of the people. There are a, a general frameworks of local regulation. There are specific ones. I like the Mexican regulation, for example, because um, because Mexico has uh, uh, a specific regulation, for example, for confining confining spaces, uh, work at height, uh, uh, for ergonomics, and so on. Uh, for example, in, in Peru, uh, we have a regulation uh, for uh, depend of the core business. For example, we have regulation for industry, for fishery, for mining, for oil and gas, uh, and, and so on. But uh, but uh, what I mean is is not exactly the same as the reference. We have uh, some some gaps, uh, maybe, but for politician or resources reasons i don't know but uh, for any reason we don't have uh, some specific and important uh, topics that could save a life yeah i, some, I sometimes wonder suzanne if we have the same issues in canada for example like in british columbia we have work safe bc their set of rules then over ontario or nova Scotia, they've got the same, the words are different though, because um, when talking to Sergio, I found that, oh, what they say in the Peru regulations is different than what they say in Mexico. So how do people interpret those things? And this is why I found chapter two in the book, Sergio, so powerful, because it talks a bit about the difference between conviction and obligation. And I just wonder, and this speaks more than just Latin America, how many OHS professionals just go through the motions because, or even C-suite, we're obligated to do this as opposed to really can have the strong conviction to that. That story that was told by the author of that chapter two about the operations manager who wouldn't complete his monthly, monthly OSH control report, really powerful because that person said, well, I used to be an OHS person. I'm in operations now. So I don't really care about OHS or OSH. And Sergio, why don't you share with them what how OSS, OSH professionals, how are they how are they perceived? Well, uh, it, it won't sound uh, popular, but as OSH uh, managers, we need to change not blaming others that is happening around. First of all, uh, we need to see ourselves what we need to improve to take uh, action. Uh, we uh, normally heard uh, tax uh, for OSH professionals like uh, paperwork holics uh, or they manage OSH uh, just from the office, resources spenders and so on. But uh, what uh, in, in this chapter two, I mentioned it uh, about uh, ob obligation versus conviction. And not just from uh, from uh, OSH, in everything that we do is not the same. But we uh, we can do by conviction uh, instead of obligation. When we are obligated, okay, well, we we need to do because uh, it's mandatory for for the law. But are you convinced that it makes sense for you? Is the question, and uh, if, if it makes sense and it could improve for, uh, for you. It's much better. Uh, I have a, a couple of, of examples uh, like this. One is uh, when I mentioned um, when when a general manager uh, asked about uh, a, a good engineering control for the process and uh, asked for the OSH professional 
Is it mandatory uh, regarding local regulation? Uh, very specific, uh, we need this engineering control? And the answer is uh, no. Okay, so we need to find out another uh, solution uh, is, uh, because uh, the general manager asked about uh, the local regulation. But if uh, uh, the same general manager is convinced that uh, the, uh, we need to have this engineering control in order to improve the risk level control, so uh, it, it could uh, work uh, well for, for the company and is a, uh, is a uh, added value for, for, for the process. The other chapter I really liked was the one written in strategy because this one I found to be really current. It talks a bit about uh, now facing what we call the good old VUCA world, right? Which is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. It's very known, uh, this, this part is very known, this, the watermelon effect, you know? Green outside, but red inside. Uh, for example, another example is to reach the target of a uh, number of uh, safety observations per employee monthly. Uh, but it's, uh, it's possible that we could fulfill, okay, the target is uh, one uh, safety observation per employee monthly. Okay, we can fulfill, but we are convinced that we, we uh, why we, we are doing just for the target or, or uh, we are convinced that this uh, safety observation could help to avoid an accident. This is a different perspective. Yeah. Okay. Anybody got some thoughts, questions so far? Okay. Malcolm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you bring up some excellent points. You know, um, you know, when working internationally, you know, um, you got to meet with the uh, the managers and crew uh, to kind of break the ice and, you know, get an understanding you know, of things and then set the expectations, you know, of the project and um, develop worker involvement, you know, what you mentioned, observations and stuff like that. Those are really important to, uh, the, uh, to uh, operations. But um, the key thing is, is uh, you know, setting expectations, setting the boundaries, setting your retortables, and empowering uh, the employees and managers you know, to get out there and do it. And uh, I think your book captures that. And, and it sounds like a very solid handbook, you know, for a new manager or somebody wanting to explore uh, more international uh, business trade uh, other than what we do here in the Western side. Uh, uh, the Western model is kind of aristocratic and everybody thinks that we're right. But my, my experience traveling internationally is... Um, the uh, communities out there are uh, safety conscious and they're strong in their trades. You know, some of the uh, trade workers may have developed habits that we consider dangerous, but have been very productive for over hundreds of years. And we benefit each other by sharing our uh, uh, expectations of safety and developing on that uh, general friendship and and cooperating. And I think that's the way to go at it. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Michael. Agree. So let's bring this right to today and use COVID-19 as an example. Oh, yeah. Why not? Eh? Okay, so 
Here we go. And let's see how we would apply the 10 solution framework to that. So this is again, a real world practical application. Let's assume that you have a workplace and it was shut down. Now you may partially reopen it with remote on-site hybrid workers. There's a good piece in the book about uh, OHS professional being a change agent. So what would you do as that professional, as a change agent in this world of VUCA? Well, as um, the pandemic uh, um, impacts definitely in, in OSH uh, management uh, because uh, there is one uh, word that I heard uh, a lot and I try to, to find out the, the real uh, meaning and apply application of, of this is the resilience. The resilience that we need to, to, to have in, in order to, in, in order to, to stay in a, in a, in a, in a book environment, uh, you know, a volatile, uh, complex. Uh, and we, uh, uh, I mentioned it in, in the book uh, because we, uh, when I thought about to write the book, uh, was the end of 2020 uh, when we don't have uh, we don't have vaccines, right? Uh, we are in 2022 now, and we are talking about a new normality, but uh, because it's uh, COVID-19 is not the first pandemic, but it won't be definitely the last one. So we need to to think uh, uh, how. We uh, uh, how we should be prepared. How to, uh, and it's up to each uh, again, each country, each state, our county. Uh, we are placed, and we need to think. Uh, what are the main lessons learned that we have uh, from this pandemic? If, because if we are thinking that uh, we will uh, get back to the previous normality. So we, we're not learning anything. Uh, in this chapter, uh, in, in, uh, you mentioned it, in which chapter we are talking about COVID-19. It's not specific to COVID-19, but the resilience and also to, to uh, pay attention about this uh, lesson learning could be mentioned in the chapter number uh, three, for example, in uh, the strategy, uh, chapter number five in uh, competences. Uh, because it's uh, again we uh, we're not working uh, similar uh, as previous uh, before the pandemic. We work uh, we we are talking uh, more about uh, remote uh, work, hybrid work. We I mentioned it also a little bit in the uh, chapter number ten, so, uh, sustainability. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really. Can really they, reinforces they, what uh, Malcolm is saying about uh, if we think we know it all, um, we're going to be in deep trouble. <laughs> Can I add a couple of things? Uh, I agree with what Sergio is saying, and particularly when he talks about the resilience. To me, what really changed during the pandemic is that most global programs had some type of pandemic response plan or some sort of business continuity plan. But I think in most people's mindset, the likelihood 
of ever having to enact that was was fleeting. It was away. Although that's not going to happen, so I'm not going to give it a lot of attention that it that it needs to. I think what's really going to change after the pandemic. I think things will get back to some normalcy, but the knowing what we've gone through, the preparedness will change. The fact that we have seen a global pandemic and that we've had to live through it and work through it. And we understand now some of the nuances of when people do come back to work and how do we keep them focused? Because to me, that was the biggest thing was people were scared. There was a lot of things that were competing for their attention at work. Accidents were on the rise because they weren't focusing as much as they needed to be those that were working on site. So to me, I agree with, with, with Sergio and, and his, his premise there about resilience is that we have to make sure that we're ready for the next time when these things come around, we're better prepared and we're not playing kind of catch up like we did with this one. Really good point, Kent. And uh, if anybody, as Suzanne and I understand the need for preparation because in British Columbia, God, we went through heat waves. Oh, then we had an atmospheric river which flooded the place and then you threw on the wildfires. So your point about that, Kent, being prepared is right. But it's not about saying, oh, we've developed this emergency preparation plan, we're done. Right. It's about the resilient process you gotta have in place because there's a good, there's a good possibility that plan that you created won't work because this is novel, it's different. Yep. So you better have a process in place to figure out some new and better solutions. And so this, this pandemic uh, uh, showed us uh, that uh, we need to think more in the uh, mental health of people, their well-being. Uh, this uh, very, uh, uh, was so far in the past, but is uh, that's uh, one of the things that we should uh, pay attention. We need to uh, to attend uh, because it impacts not just in all in all uh, the organization. Um, uh, Tanya has the hands up. Yeah. Yeah, just just on the pandemic, like I, I remember hearing that, well, a couple of things. Number one, I, I was so fortunate the very, very first week of the pandemic, the TED organization was running talks and I heard um, the head of Gavi talk about we need vaccine equity. When we get vaccines, we need mm -hmm. vaccine equity worldwide or else we'll never get ourselves out of this and look at where we are. So, you know, it just kind of, uh, test running this whole global, you know, <laughs> we need to act together as humanity. You know, this, this COVID thing kind of showed us how we're not quite there yet. We don't seem to be able to realize this. Um, for example, just on the COVID thing, one more uh, snippet was um, a lot of these, um, you know, isolated home, uh, make sure that you can you know, shop, you know, for just shop for two weeks kind of thing and then stay home and don't don't um, interact with others. I heard that there are places in Peru who don't even have refrigeration. So when these rules are being come up in in Geneva, you know, they're 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 thinking about a, a context yeah. that they are living, not necessarily that other people are living and that has impacts and you know people in where they were talking about in Peru just they go shopping to the market every day because they don't have refrigeration and it's like okay so this is a different reality than what 
a whole lot of people who came up with the COVID rules knew. Um, so I just what one last thing, then this is this is car, I'm teetering on being almost uncomfortable asking this, but um, I mean, the Western Western societies have gone through evolutions of things. And there is the possibility, like I know that there are states, uh, there are countries in Africa that are uh, leapfrogging over a lot of the lessons that we have learned via energy and things like this. Uh, they don't actually have to go through all of the mistakes that were made and they can just take current day stuff and implement it as opposed to you know the whole learning journey the whole safety community is undergoing this huge transformation from this whole Tayloristic Heinrich mindset to this more responsive, you know, understanding the, the frontline worker, changing leadership models kind of thing. And I'm just wondering if South America is is doing the same kind of leapfrogging. They don't have to go through the same evolution of the Taylorism and all this stuff in order to get to a better safety regime today. It, uh, good question, Tanya. Um, it's very slow, very, very slow uh, the, to copy this, uh, these models because um, I, I, I for, uh, not forget that, that you mentioned uh, previously, is um, we we try to copy and, and paste the the things that uh, other uh, countries uh, are going forward, but uh, unfortunately we we're we're uh, too bad to, for copy and paste because we copy just part of the things, but not uh, is uh, not is it's not casual because. Uh, it depends on the resources, uh, the, the the environment that we we have. You mentioned an important thing uh, is the refrigeration, the, the ventilation that we have in the in the in the places. Uh, I would like to mention another topic here because is um, it depends also of the formality that we have in Latin America. The formality is a percent. In Peru, for example, is more than seventy uh, percent of informality. So uh, it's uh, another reality, another uh, uh, challenges that uh, they need to face, uh, despite of the resources and the environment that we, that we have. For for example, what what advantage uh, uh, you are talking about Peru, for example? Uh, one advantage in, in Peru, uh, we have a. Uh, uh, one of the uh, index of uh, uh, major uh, index vaccination uh, per, per person. And uh, we have uh, millions of, uh, I think, 90% of vaccines. The population is uh, 33 million. So 90 millions, it, it, it's good. But uh, there's another issue is the access, uh, the, uh, the keep in, in the good condition, the, the vaccines, and so on. But uh, in, in terms of the trends that we have, the change, the leadership model, the, the new trends in OSH uh, management, uh, always they uh, are coming for Latin America. 
but very slow because of the, again, because of the resources, because of the environment, because of the culture, because also for uh, politician reasons, unfortunately. Yeah, right. Tara, I said we got some LinkedIn comments here. Can you maybe pick out a couple and share those yeah. with yeah, we, we were on LinkedIn Live and we had uh, quite a number of people joining us, actually. Um, it got up there to 12 at one point. So we had a few comments that I just wanted to share um, before we close out. So we have Paulo who was saying the important thing is pay attention with the law of the country, specifically uh, QHS. So thank you for that question. I mean, sorry, comment. Thank you for that comment, Paulo. Uh, we have uh, Dr. Zibra who wanted to, to ask, um, maybe in a later date, we could be doing this, um, going back to Suzanne's question, um, to, to really drill down into what are the existing or not existing occupational health and safety regulations in Latin Latino America countries and Africa as well. So people are interested in, in moving that conversation along. So thank you, Suzanne, for bringing that up. Um, we have, uh, uh, should COVID be considered a social disease or should it be considered independently in the workplace? So people are thinking along that line. And um, yeah, so those are our comments on LinkedIn. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Tara. Well, as you said, we are at the top of our and want to respect people's time. Uh, I know that if you go and you click on Amazon.com, if you can read Spanish, you're doing fine. Uh, because when is the English version coming going to be available, Sergio? Well, the, the English version will be released in Amazon uh, on March uh, 23rd uh, this year, a Kindle and printed, printed version. Uh, the releasing in Spanish uh, was in October uh, 27th. It was uh, and reached uh, in 47 categories in Amazon uh, bestseller uh, in five marketplaces. It's a, uh, it's a, I think, very demanded in the market. But uh, it, but it will be uh, available uh, since March 23rd. Uh, I will. I also. I will. Uh, uh, show in in LinkedIn uh, some uh, videos uh, promoting the book in the in the next days. Excellent, great, appreciate that. So, as my custom, I always like to ask the author, "What would be your final three takeaways that would you would like to leave with us?" Uh, first of all, this is not a book for receipt followers, uh, but chefs, believers in Osh as a vehicle uh, of uh, reaching excellence. Uh, the second one is a uh, change uh, starts with ourselves uh, as OSH professionals. We won't see changes that we want to see if we uh, doesn't want to be a change agents. And the third thing, last but not the least, uh, I, I, I think uh, this book uh, is a legacy I would like to share with all of you. Uh, I'm sure it could contribute at least with a grain of sand uh, with uh, your success in the organization that you have and take your organizations to the to the excellence. Great, thank you. Well, that does it for another show. Tomorrow, over to you. Sorry, uh, Gary? Tomorrow, are you there? We're... Oh, you're on, you're on mute. Sorry about that. I had a technical moment. My Zoom went away, so I had to find it and come <laughs> back. Anyway, um, 
Yeah, thank you everybody for joining us today. It's a great conversation. I'd really like to open this up and kind of dig deeper into health and safety and how it's done in other places in the world. I think that would be really interesting topic to, to get more into. So thank you, um, Sergio, on behalf of Safepedia for coming and joining us today. Thank you, Gary. Thanks all. And um, next, next month, we're gonna have Clive Lloyd coming back. Um, Clive actually was on the very first Meet the Author show. So I talked to Clyde and figured what we need to do is come back and see what have you learned since you wrote the book. So hopefully I'll be an exciting, interesting time and hope everybody here and on LinkedIn are going to be able to join us for that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks, Paul. Bye. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. See you soon. Bye. And for more great content, go to safepedia.com. Thank you.